This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include Mature Themes You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 354. Greetings, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, your guide to the fantastical world of Metamorph City. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get right to it. Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 5 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Honor in Bellevue is on a mission for Countess Harcourt, the leader of the succession reform movement. The reform bill is about to come before the Council of Peers for a vote, and a faction of conservatives, led by Lord Bellevue's cousin Tyrrell, is working hard to make sure that the bill is voted down. Lord Bellevue has already promised Honor that he will vote for the bill, but in order to keep peace within the family, he's going to keep his position secret until the vote takes place. In order to win more votes for his side, Tyrrell has organized a weekend retreat for 60 councillors and their families. The retreat is being held at a ski chalet in the mountains, run by House Drowling, one of the most prominent families in the Conservative Caucus. Honor has been invited along as part of Lord Bellevue's retinue. Countess Harcourt wants her to listen carefully to Cousin Tyrrell's speech, which she will be giving at the banquet on Saturday night, and then report back on the arguments Tyrrell is using in private to rally opposition to the bill. Harcourt is convinced that this is a desperation play by the Conservatives, and if they're using some slander against Harcourt or some other dirty trick, then the information Honor brings back will help them prepare a counteroffensive. Honor could not bring Alex or Natasha with her for this mission. Alex needs to stay away from the succession fight in order to preserve the tenuous alliance around the Veterans Reform Bill, and Natasha and other hired staff are not permitted to attend. In some ways, that's a blessing. Honor and Natasha have just had a big fight, and Honor needs to decide what to do about Natasha keeping secrets from her. Honor's father is coming, of course, but he doesn't know about Honor's mission. Her only ally is Lady Delphinia, Harcourt's granddaughter, who has rubbed Honor the wrong way since their first encounter at the debutante's ball. Delphinia is cold and manipulative, and she can be vindictive when her pride is injured, but she's just as ferociously intelligent as the Countess herself, and much too perceptive for Honor's comfort. She figured out during the train ride that Honor's heart had just been broken, and she tried unsuccessfully to get Honor to talk about it. 
Not because she cares, but because it would make Honor feel better, and she doesn't want Honor's emotional state to compromise the mission. It remains to be seen whether Honor and Delphinia can put aside their differences for the good of the cause, or if Delphinia's presence is just going to rub salt in the wound of Honor's broken heart. Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue Book 3 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 5 Sanctum The carriage sleigh pulled up in front of an imposing lodge, four stories tall and at least a hundred feet wide at the base. A pair of tall wooden doors stood directly before them, covered by a gabled canopy that offered some shelter from the wind. Honor could not see many other details. They were down on the valley floor now, and the tall pines and firs around them blocked out much of the moonlight. Enchanted globe lamps hung over the entrance, creating a pool of light amidst the gloom, and here the sleigh's passengers gathered in a tight clump as they exited the vehicle. The darkness of the woods seemed to close in around them, silently threatening. Who would choose to live out here? she wondered, unconsciously nudging closer to Lord Bellevue. True, the ride out here had been breathtaking, even magical, but now that they were here, the forest filled her with a palpable sense of unease. It will be better in the daylight, she told herself. It must be. The doors opened, and a group of servants in house-drowling livery filed out. Men in black and silver uniforms with high collars, women with white bonnets and aprons over full-length black dresses. They watched the guests with calm, sober expressions, polite, attentive, but not smiling. The whole house looks as if they are in mourning, Honor thought. Vance, who seemed to be the designated spokesperson, came up to stand in front of the group. He had a short murmured conversation with one of the female servants, which Honor could not make out at all, then turned back to face the guests. Lord and Lady Drowling are waiting to receive you, he said. By the custom of our house, men and women are forbidden from fraternizing after dark. This is for everyone's protection, lest the virtue of the women be called into question. The Viscount will welcome our male guests, while the Viscountess will greet the female. Afterward, you will be taken to your separate sleeping quarters for the night. Gentlemen, if you will follow me. Ladies, please follow Mrs. Dunleavy here. He gestured to the woman he had addressed a moment ago, a middle-aged woman whose light brown hair was liberally streaked with grey. All around them, the guests began to divide themselves by sex, husbands and wives murmuring quick goodnights to one another. There was no small amount of consternation among them, but no one seemed willing to give the drowlings offense by challenging their custom in their own home. Honor looked up at her father, uneasy about leaving him so soon in this unfamiliar place. Lord Bellevue didn't look happy about it either, but he smiled encouragingly down at her and gripped her shoulders. It's all right, he said. I'll see you tomorrow. He bent down and kissed her forehead. Sleep well. Thank you, she murmured. 
You as well, father. Perhaps in the morning we can... One of the female servants appeared at Honor's elbow, eyeing her intently. She gave Honor a curtsy and the barest hint of a smile. Lady Honor, if you would come with us, please. Honor clamped down on a surge of frustration. I'm sorry, I am having a word with Lord Bellevue. If you could just give us a moment... To her astonishment, the servant cut her off. I'm afraid it's forbidden, miss. I am sorry. The house rules are very clear on this. Honor bristled. Do you mean to tell me that my own father... Delphinia appeared on her other side, and gently but firmly took Honor's arm in hers. Come along then, roommate, she said brightly, as she began ushering Honor away after the other ladies. We would not wish to cause a scene, would we? Honor looked back helplessly at her father. He shrugged and spread his hands, mouthing the words, Go on. Reluctantly, Honor went. While the men filed into the great lodge, the women followed their guides up a cobblestone path that ran around the right side of the building and up a gentle slope. They came to a set of stairs and climbed another thirty feet or so, coming out onto a wooden deck that rested on a small stony outcropping. The building attached to the deck seemed to be of a similar design to the Great Lodge, but it was smaller and had only a single story. The servants held the door for them, and the ladies filed inside. The hall into which they stepped was warm and inviting, hexagonal in shape, with wood-paneled walls and a roof that sloped upwards on all sides to a conical peak in the center. Fur rugs covered most of the floor, and tapestries of flowers and abstract geometric patterns hung on the walls between long rows of windows. Three hearths were spaced at equidistant points around the room, the fires crackling invitingly. On the walls between the fireplaces, narrow corridors ran into the distance to the left and right, forming an equilateral triangle with the front door. Couches and armchairs were positioned in small groupings around each hearth, all of them covered with thick and comfortable-looking blankets. As she stepped through the front door, a strange thing happened. Honor felt the knot of tension and worry begin to loosen inside her chest. The dread and anxiety that seemed to hang over the forest were washed away by a sense of warmth and peace. She found herself closing her eyes, taking in a slow, deep breath, and letting it out again. Somehow she knew to the deepest part of her spirit, that this place was safe. The sound of approaching footsteps brought her back to herself. She opened her eyes in time to see a magnificent woman enter the room. The Viscountess of Lasalle, Lady Angelica Drowling, was tall and slender, with pale skin, dark eyes, and long, thick hair as black as a raven's wing. Her age was hard to guess, there were few lines on her face, but her eyes seemed to carry the wisdom and self-assurance of someone much older. Honor might have placed her somewhere between thirty and fifty, but she had heard that wizards aged more slowly than other humans, so perhaps she was even older than that. She spurned the elaborate updos that were fashionable at court. A pair of white-gold hair combs held the hair away from her face, exposing her sharp cheekbones and strong jawline but it fell in a curtain down to the small of her back. She wore a cloth of silver dress that glittered with every step, 
with a V-shaped placket of midnight black velvet running from throat to navel. Jewels gleamed on her wrists and fingers, ears and neck, diamonds and garnets, onyx and black tourmaline, each one set amidst intricate geometric patterns woven from precious metals. A slender dagger, about six inches long and inlaid with more arcane symbols, hung from a sheath on her belt. Honor recognized it as an Arthana, the focus implement of an air mage. Lady Drowling's face was serene as she stood before her assembled guests. Honor could not stop staring at her. There was a magnetism to her presence that seemed irresistible. Honor curtsied deeply to their hostess, and all around her, the other ladies did the same. My dear friends, Lady Drowling said, spreading her hands in welcome. She had a rich voice, deep and reassuring. Welcome to my sanctum. It is my great pleasure to spend these next two days in your company. Whatever worries may trouble you, whatever doubts, fears, and anxieties may cloud your mind, I hope that here, for a time, you may find relief from them. She raised the Arthana and moved it through the air before them, simultaneously making an intricate gesture with her free hand. Motes of green and white light danced from the tip of the blade, then spread out through the room in a shimmering wave. This house has been warded against all negative energies, by my own hand and will. While you are here, you are safe. There was a soft exhalation from many of the women around the room as the wave of light passed over them. Honor felt a little more of her own worry fade away at its touch. Now then, Lady Drowling said, the hour is late, and you have all had a long journey to come here. My attendants will escort you to your rooms. There you will find a light repast to nourish you in body and spirit. Rest well, and I will speak again with you in the morning. Honor and the other guests curtsied again, and Drowling inclined her head in response. Then she turned and glided out of the room again, as elegant and serene as before. Honor stared helplessly after her until she vanished from sight. Immediately the maidservants moved into action, dividing the guests into pairs and escorting them off to their respective rooms. The back corridors were narrow and sparsely decorated, with wood paneling on the walls and occasional paintings or lithographs of animals, plants, and landscapes. There were skylights at regular intervals, but none of the enchanted globe lights they had seen outside. The maidservants went before them with lanterns, which sent flickering shadows dancing along the walls as they passed. Honor and Delphinia's room was down the right passage from the main hall and around a corner, nearly on the opposite side of the building from where they had come in. The maidservant unlocked the door with a ring of keys and led them inside. It was smaller than Honor's chambers at the apartment, a single bedroom of perhaps ten by ten feet. Two narrow beds were situated lengthwise along the front and back walls, piled high with thick blankets and pillows. A nightstand stood between the beds against the left wall, while the right side of the room held a little dining table, two chairs, and a closet with folding doors. There were no lamps in the room, but a half a dozen candlesticks stood in neat rows atop the dresser and table. The servant went around the room and lit the candles from her lantern, 
and now Honor could see that there was a little food laid out on the table as well. Crackers, smoked sausage, hard cheeses and apples, along with flagons of wine and water. Two place settings, with plain ceramic bowls and cups and heavy cloth napkins, sat in front of each of the chairs. Oh, this seems very cozy, Honor said. Her stomach rumbled as she saw the food, and she went over to the table immediately and began fixing herself a plate. Delphinia, for her part, stood in the middle of the room, turning in a slow circle. Her face held a strange expression, as if she had caught a whiff of something rotten but could not pinpoint its location. Honor sniffed experimentally at the food, but everything seemed fine to her. I'll just let you get settled in then, ladies," the servant said, with an uneasy smile at Delphinia. Someone will be by shortly with your things. Good. Thank you, Delphinia said, with a distracted air. Thank you so much, Honor said, smiling warmly and trying to convey enough courtesy for both of them. The girl curtsied at her in reply and saw herself out, shutting the door behind her. Honor busied herself with the food for a time, neatly sectioning an apple into thin wedges and cutting slices of sausage and cheese. The meat was the heavily cured sort that could be stored in the rafters for months. It tasted of boar and venison, well seasoned with garlic and spices, smoked in applewood. The cheese was sharp, well-aged, and paired beautifully with both the apples and the wine. Honor ate and drank heartily and it was quite some time before she noticed that Delphinia was still pacing slowly around the room. Come eat something, Honor encouraged her. Delphinia shot a suspicious glare at the table. Honor wasn't sure if it was intended for her or the food. I'm not hungry, she muttered. No sooner had she said the words than a loud rumbling came from her midsection. You're lying, Honor said sweetly. Look, I'm sure this must seem like peasant food to you, but this is how people eat in the country, and it's all excellent. Delphinia came over to the table, lifted the wine to her nose, sniffed experimentally. Her face wrinkled up in distaste, and she set it back down again. I wouldn't drink that, she said. Honor smiled thinly at her, then pointedly took a long sip from her own cup. Suit yourself, she said. She finished her meal in silence, enjoying the rustic comfort of the place. Lady Drowling's sanctum reminded her more of home than any place she had been since she came to the city, and there was solace in that after all the turmoil she had been through. On Sunday they would return to the apartment, and Honor would have to decide what to do about Natasha. For now, it was a relief to sink into something safe and familiar. Delphinia eventually sat down on one of the beds, holding her crucifix in both hands. She stared at nothing, her thumbs running nervously up and down the branches of the yew tree. Honor wondered if she was homesick. She apparently had lived her entire life in the city, after all. Honor supposed that this retreat into the back country must be as strange to her as the city was to Honor. Well, fine. Let her be uncomfortable. It was only fair, after the way she had treated Honor. Their luggage arrived soon after Honor had finished eating, and four of Drowling's maids came with it. They swiftly unpacked all of the clothing into the closet, 
then assisted Honor and Delphinia in changing out of their dresses and into nightgowns. All four of them were cheerful and exceptionally polite, which seemed to make Delphinia even more agitated. When one of them tried to unfasten her crucifix, Delphinia wheeled on her and slapped the poor woman's hand away. What do you think you're doing? she demanded, wild-eyed. The maid shrank back from her, cringing and rubbing her hand. It looked like one of Delphinia's rings had left a mark on her. I'm so sorry, milady. I was just helping with your jewelry. This is not jewelry, Delphinia snapped, her hand going tight around the trunk of the yew tree. Out. Get out. All of you. Hurriedly, they obeyed. Delphinia slammed the door shut behind them, then locked it. After a moment's consideration, she pushed one of her heavy trunks up against the door for good measure. Then she sat back on the bed, her shoulders slumped in apparent exhaustion. What in the sixth hell is wrong with you? Honor asked. They were only trying to help. Even for you, Delphinia, that was horrid behavior. Delphinia did not answer for a long moment. When she did, her voice came out so soft that Honor could barely hear her. Something is very wrong here. Such as? Delphinia shook her head. I don't know. I don't understand it. But I can feel it. Like something crawling over my skin. She reached down and touched her crucifix again. She looked haunted and miserable. Despite herself, Honor felt a slight twinge of sympathy for the young scion. She got up and sat down on the other bed across from her, tried to catch her eye. Are you certain you are just tired and hungry? It was a rather long journey to get here. Delphinia sighed. <sighs> I don't know. Perhaps. She glanced warily up at Honor, then got up and went to rummage around in one of her trunks. She retrieved a toothbrush and a tin of tooth powder, then proceeded to use them, crouching over the chamber pot next to her bed. She poured herself a glass of water from the flagon, but only took enough of it to rinse her mouth after brushing. Then she knelt before the bed and bowed her head, lips moving in silent prayers. She seemed to dismiss Honor's presence from her mind entirely. Not knowing what else to do, Honor pulled out her own toiletries and followed Delphinia's lead. By the time she was finished brushing, the other girl had climbed into bed, her body curled toward the wall. I should say something to her, Honor thought. This is a safe place. She should feel safe here. But nothing Honor had said so far seemed to help, and she did not know what else to say. She was suddenly very tired. The comforting air of warmth and reassurance that had surrounded her now felt like a soft, gentle blanket, lulling her toward sleep. Sleep. Yes, that is what we need right now. What we both need. Everything will be all right in the morning. Honor knelt, mouthed her prayers silently and by rote, and climbed into bed. Before she blew out the candles, she saw that Delphinia had turned over, her expression troubled even in sleep. Her hand was still wrapped around the crucifix.
And that's the end of Chapter 5. Come back next time when Honor has a strange dream and Lady Drowling gets to know her guests. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Now it's time to check in on my writing endeavors. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of October 22nd through October 28th. I wrote 873 words this week, over the course of 0.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 1164 words per hour. I wrote on one out of seven days this week. My writing drought continued this week, but I did record and publish two episodes of the podcast, which was helpful in rebuilding my episode buffer. I also went back to reading fiction again, and specifically queer romance, after a couple of months of mostly listening to nonfiction and podcasts. The book I chose was One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston, and it was an excellent choice. This is a delightful romantic comedy, with a wonderful cast of quirky, flawed, adorable characters. It's got mystery and time travel and drag queens, and tons of music, and oodles of New York history and ambiance, and some of the most beautiful prose I've ever read. This is a book that will break your heart and then put it back together again. I finished it in three days, and I highly, highly recommend it. The audiobook version is also excellent. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show... Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.